welcome to Inspiring Futures. I'm your host, Ed Cotton. This is a podcast where we talk about the how, what, and why of the future. Uh, welcome to another episode of Inspiring Futures. Um, I'm really excited that Elsa and Jason of Zeus Jones um, are going to be my guests in this episode. Uh, this is part of our like ad hoc ongoing attempt at a series where we bring um, strategists and creatives together to talk about how they work, why they like each other, how they fight, <laughs> what happens when a brief isn't good enough, all that kind of really interesting stuff. Uh, so um, I'm happy that uh, these guys have put their names in the hat and, and wanted to be part of this. Um, so why don't we start with you, Elsa? Uh, just tell us a little bit about your background, how you got to Zeus Jones, how long you've been there, and what you do. Yeah, awesome. Thanks, Ed. Um, so let's see here. Uh, I have kind of fell into the advertising and marketing world on accident, as uh, you know, most people tend to do. Um, I was in, was in school, thought academia was for me, decided last second it wasn't, and was like, oh my gosh, I need a job. <laughs> um, I was lucky enough uh, to have been interning in my summers at an agency um, in Minneapolis called Space 150. It was a web shop mostly, um, and I convinced them to give me a, give me a shot at uh, strategy, um, and I uh, very serendipitously took to it relatively quickly. Um, and there, uh, spent a lot of time working with a lot of great creatives um, and learning how to work with them in a way that made sense for the web shop and uh, digital advertising. Um, but ended up getting kind of bored pretty quickly. Uh, it was the same brief. It felt like over and over and over again. So I uh, was looking to make a move. And then another little stroke of luck um, was contacted by another awesome uh, strategist, Lachlan Badnock, um, who was formerly at Zeus. And... Um, we had a great conversation and he was like, you should work here. So I did. And that was about six years ago almost. So i um, been at Zeus for a while now. I'm a partner um, strategist, obviously. And uh, I love it. Every day is a new problem, a new challenge and a new kind of interesting, creative way to solve it. So um, yeah, that's sort of the, the long and the short of it, I guess. Brilliant. That's great. Um, Jason, how about you? Yeah. Um, interestingly, I also wanted to be an academic, um, <laughs> except I was on the, the writing and kind of literature side of things. Um, so I, I graduated from undergrad during the last recession, um, which was obviously pretty tough. thought I would go to an MFA program, something like that, um, kind of pursue creative writing. I'm very glad that I didn't. Um, <laughs> And I basically spent like the next year kind of as a freelance writer, mostly in the arts and entertainment journalism world. Um, and uh, eventually, because it was the recession, places were just taking so long to pay me that I had to get a real job. Um, and I, uh, I, I joined a company processing family medical leave, um, which was torture. But it, it, was, it was really good in that it kind of showed me like, you know, how terrible a job could be and why it's really worth working towards um, something and sort of making a job or sort of a career for yourself that um, was really kind of satisfying and, and sort of meant more. So um, after that, I was actually lucky enough to become an arts and entertainment editor 
I worked for the Onion AV Club um, for a couple of years as the, the local editor. So this is on the non-satirical side of things, doing kind of entertainment coverage, music, food, um, things like that, art. And um, after a couple of years of that, I lost my job um, along with 20 other editors. Um, very, very common story, but um, I'd always kind of heard or knew about Zeus Jones. I had a friend, really good friend who worked there. And I just thought it was an interesting place that approached things differently. And I never, um, I guess, kind of come across a business quite like it. I knew it was a, a creative place, but it wasn't an advertising agency. Um, and luckily I was able to start freelancing there um, pretty soon after being laid off. And I, I freelanced for a full year. Um, which I was basically, I felt like Zeus paying me to learn <laughs> about business and really about kind of the, the specific kind of point of view Zeus Jones has on business. Um, yeah, and here we are eight years later. Also, and I became um, uh, partners last year, uh, just over a year ago. So, yeah. Congratulations. Elsa, for those of a uh, few listeners, I mean, listeners that I have, um, <laughs> Could you do, give you good a little history and an explanation of what Zeus Jones is, like the uh, elevator pitch, as they say, type of thing? Oh, yeah. I mean, do we even have an elevator pitch? It's, it's a great question. Um, so I would say uh, Zeus Jones is a business um, and strategy innovation company. Um, we tend to work on those really nasty, heady problems that businesses have about what they want to be in the future, what they want to do that really changes who they are right now. And um, we get to those solutions not by saying, you know, there's a marketing playbook or a product we can pull off the shelf, but really digging into why this needs to exist for this business, what the possibility of it is in the future, and then using all sorts of different problem-solving mechanisms, whether that's brand design, whether that's service and experience design, whether that's product development, um, organizational change management, all of those all of those different ways to really get to solutions that make lasting and sustaining impact. Um, and it's a little bit different than your standard marketing and communications company because um, it's not that. It's like partially that consulting side and then partially that um, kind of brand and marketing side of things mixed together. So hard to define in, in a simple statement, but ultimately I think we like it that way. Um, it keeps us able uh, to flex and adapt and, and take on new different types of problems. Um, are you allowed to name any of your clients? And if you can't name your clients, can you tell us what kind of categories you work in? Yes, we, yes, we can name our clients. So some of them. Um, so we work with, you know, uh, a bunch of, you know, large multinationals. So. Facebook, Nestle, Apple, um, large companies that have lots of impact in different ways. Uh, we also work with small startups, um, with uh, NGOs, with um, the government and, and some institutions um, locally here in Minneapolis, uh, with universities. So we're all over the place in terms of who our partners are. Um, but you know, we're drawn again to the right types of problems and shared values on how to solve them versus kind of sticking to a singular category or, um, a singular kind of type of company or business. That's great. Jason, do you want to, do you want to tell everyone you, you, you come eight years ago, you, I mean, you're working for the onion, mm -hmm. <laughs> whatever it is, it's still cool. Yeah. I remember the Onion actually, and one of the editors giving a presentation, uh, 
account planning conference. Um, it was just, we used to have some really great guests and uh, people at that conference. And uh, he just came on stage and he said, I think I know what a CMO does. I've just been in the green room and the guy from American Express, I think he just fired someone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and anyway, so um, you come to this new world. Um, you had thought of, right, of, of going back into academia to, to possibly do an MFA. Um, you know, this place called Zeus Jones. How is strategy presented to you? How, is, how do you encounter it? Is it, is it like, is it, do you drink Kool-Aid and told you must follow strategy um, from now on? Uh, what, what was your process of kind of learning about this, this strange function and what it did? Yeah, I mean, I think in some ways, because I came from outside the world, I didn't really have any preconceived ideas about like what strategy was, or maybe more importantly, I never sort of had an adversarial relationship to strategy. <laughs> and I, I think I was, I've always sort of been drawn to it too, because um, I am drawn to things that feel meaningful. And I, I think, uh, I think, you know, if you're just kind of having like, if Elsa and I are having just like a conversation about something, you know, sort of like, why does this matter? Why could it be better? Why, why could this make a, you know, help make a, a business sort of better for people or do better for the world? To me, it's like not a strategy conversation. That's sort of a human conversation. <laughs> and um, so I never, I never really had a, a, a negative perception of strategy um, to start with, which I think helped a lot. And um you know and you know eight years later that that has been one of the the sort of issues in in building out a creative department at zeus jones a we do a very different type of creative it's often around you know creativity and products and services um but b when we pull people from a more kind of traditional pool um they tend to have a lot of um kind of ideas about how it works and what the process is like and what these relationships should sort of um, feel like. And um, so we try really hard to find people that don't want to be in those kind of traditional uh, uh, relationships, or maybe they were the black sheep at their at their last agency, or they didn't come from an agency altogether. Um, I think over my time here, we've had four or five people come from the arts and entertainment journalism world, actually, um, which is pretty, pretty interesting for a creative. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, there's um there's a sort of the the resume award show artifact the object that you have to create to be recognized you know is well known in the ad industry there's a process that you know you make the ads hopefully they're television hopefully they win awards and the more awards you win the more money you get um, it's sort of the, the way it works. Now you're working kind of under the hood. You're doing things that are actually probably more enduring and have more longevity in terms of their impact for a client. There ain't a lot of award shows for some of this stuff. And so you're kind of doing it. Your motivation set has to, has to be different, right? Right. Yeah, that's right. And, um, I, honestly, like I never wanted to work for an ad agency. I think that's another difference. Like, yes, I am a writer and I do a lot of ad like things all the time. 
Um, mm. But I never wanted to be part of that world. And then I will say, like, once I started to join Zeus, you know, we were founded by um, four former um, Fallon folks. Like, I definitely did start to understand the the relationship that um, a lot of people in that world had between like creative and strategy. And I definitely did start to drink the Kool-Aid about like why our way was better. So, <laughs> you know, I, I never, I never kind of came from that side and I, and I immediately also, I think started to just like understand like why the, the old model was, was broken because I was surrounded by people who left that world because they hated it. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. That's great. Um, Elsa, what's, how would you describe how your, approach has evolved uh, as a strategist and what you've learned from being at Zizjans in terms of how you can be most effective or what you believe. Um, yeah, yeah, totally. So, I mean, I can uh, definitely echo a lot of what Jason said and what you said, Ed, around sort of that different mindset. Um, I'm uh, a reformed competitor, if you will. Uh, I've <laughs> spent a lot of my life in high-end athletics um competing i felt like my entry into advertising was equally competitive um competitive against obviously other agencies but competitive around the people uh, the people around you right who has the best idea in the meeting like who's going to have the the sexiest tightest pithiest insight um and at zeus that just doesn't fly it just doesn't work that way it's much more about being cooperative much more about being collaborative much more about how does everyone in the room work together to create something awesome? How do we work with our clients and our partners to work um, to make something awesome? And so removing that sort of contentious element actually has opened up me um, into thinking about different ideas, different ways of expressing those ideas, being much more creative than I was in my previous position, allowing myself to have a lot more of the, the creative conversations and allowing other folks to have much more strategic conversations, letting that line blur. Um, and so there's been a lot of growth for me in that way. Um, and I think that has also then allowed you to sort of just open up into, well, okay, if this is, works here, this kind of collaborative mindset works here, where can we bring this in other places? Where can we bring this to our clients? How can we restructure teams when we're looking at operational models, for example, um, to help kind of bring in that collaborative or, or cooperative sort of behavior? Um, so it's, it spurs kind of new, new approaches in all sorts of places. Yeah, I, I was, in, I was in, I was listening to a podcast with a, with a photographer the other day and, and he's, what he's done brilliantly is not only is he, is a brilliant photographer, he's cracked the commercial code. Um, mm -hmm. so he sells, his work sells for a lot of money. Mm -hmm. um, and he was talking about a Brit being a Brit in LA and he's kind of said, do you want to be the dumbest guy in the room? Mm. And, and you don't want to be the smartest person in the room. And I think planning was always historically, it was about being the smartest person in the room. And I think I'm not saying that you want to be the dumbest person in the room, but <laughs> certainly, you, you certainly want to give up something, right? And you, 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 you mm -hmm. know, the, 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 as you said earlier, it was who has the smartest insight, who has the best insight, who's, you know, the, the, the A type, type A competitive drive that um, you know, we all know from sports, or well, not all of us, but some of us. Um, and uh, you know, that's the, that's the boiler room of the ad agency land. So you have to kind of learn new skills. You have to be a facilitator. And that's different. Yeah, it, absolutely. It's absolutely different. And I love 
that idea of, of being the dumbest person in the room because I want to be surrounded by people who make me better. And I hope that being the facilitator and being able to kind of make those connections and bring, bring thinking together versus keeping it apart makes everyone else better as well. Um, so absolutely identify with, with that statement of, of wanting to be the dumbest person in the room. Um, and, you know, sometimes I am, and that's great. It's a humbling experience. Um, but yeah, I feel that um, the special, one of the special sauces that Zeus brings is that ability to sort of even the playing field. And so that there isn't just one person talking at everybody else in a meeting. And that, you know, shifts over to your to our clients and our partners as well. It's now all of a sudden, it's not just the CMO firing someone or sure it's kind of talking at people, but it's allowing all those other um, diverse voices to have, have space um, to create. And I think that's like, I was just gonna like yeah. build on that. Like when I first started at Zeus, like that was one of the things that felt really familiar to me it was almost like a writer's room type quality, but with everyone and you, you, if you were in the room, like you were expected to add to what was happening in that room. Um, regard, you know, and this was me coming from outside the world of, of like business and brands. So um, it was it was an expectation that like everyone should just be building on top of like what you're talking about and adding your own kind of perspective and ideas. You know, uh, in a lot of work you do, this you talked earlier about the sort of a human instinctual intuitive understanding of how business works and doing the right thing. But there's also some sort of fundamental things like models and balance sheets and how businesses actually make money. Mm-hmm. Is that what you, is it, is it incumbent on you to know that, learn that? Is, it, is that how the strategist helps you? How do you see the, how much do you need to know to be dangerous? And is there such a thing as knowing too much? Yeah. Um, no, I don't. I don't think. At least for me, I don't think there's such a thing as knowing too much. And definitely over like the last eight years, like I, I've just tried to be a sponge. Like I'm surrounded by brilliant people, and I've always loved learning. So I, it's sort of like a an instinctual thing. Like I just I, I want to pick that up. Um, and so working here has also kind of been like getting an MBA, um, except. Uh, uh, you know, my focus in particular is that kind of on like the creative aspect of it and how do we kind of take the creative leap from this more sort of like, maybe it's a logical thing, but it, you know, there might be a little bit of magic into it, in it. Um, and how do you take this leap um, to something else that can be, I don't know, that makes it tangible, makes it something that people can kind of gravitate to, um, which is just something that I, I kind of naturally as a writer, like already, already did. Um, and already sort of like was the place that I really came from and was the thing that really suited me. But I'm, I'm very, I'm also very like, I'm interested in all of those conversations. And to your point about like models and, and understanding business, like I'm definitely better than I was uh, eight years ago, but <laughs> I, I, I lean on folks like Elsa um, every day, so. Yeah, but I do think it's, oh, go ahead. I was just gonna say is that when you're looking for other creatives, are you, are you, is, is the creative magic is the most important thing that you're looking for from them? Or is it sort of like ability to, because I thought we talked about unsec solving unsexy pro well, they're sexy problems, but the solutions, the solutions might not be the mm-hmm. sexiest. Mm-hmm. And so when you're yeah. looking for the creatives, are you looking to, have, you know, how are you looking for that balance? 
some mm. some people who are, who are prepared to, to dig in and, and and help solve problems uh, or are you looking for people who are who are just going to like you know my big thing right now is I've, I've been talking about it for over a year is have you heard of the museum of ice cream mm -hmm. yes i just cannot fathom why no ad agency came up with that idea it's worth 300 million dollars it was a 27 year old designer slash trend forecaster who came yeah. up with an idea which is like a, a, a creative application of a bunch of trends okay we've got covid it's kind of basically dead but yeah for for a period of time you know creating an experience that physical experience that people could at, interact with and is out around ice cream you know so my, my point was um you know I wish there were ad agencies that could come up with it. It's actually, it's, it's funny that you say that and that you use that example because I was um, working with an ice cream brand a couple of years before that came out and we got fairly far and almost launched a very similar thing. Um, <laughs> that was all about this experiential um, sort of Instagram baby uh, place that was uh, rooted in, in their product, which was ice cream. Um, and, uh, but anyway, to, to your question about what I look for in a creative, the, the, the kind of first and foremost thing, which I think kind of goes back to why there's been so many arts and entertainment journalists um, at Zeus is, is kind of an interest in culture and ability to dissect culture. And, and when I say culture, I'm not talking necessarily about like what's trendy or what's cool, but instead like big cultural ideas, mm -hmm. like things that are, are driving, um, uh, sort of, you know, where where everyone is going. These are like ideas that people get behind. So like, for example, right now, I think a, a major idea in culture, of course, um, is this idea of, of being at a, at a reinvention moment. Um, so it's people who can kind of understand and and break apart those ideas. And then also they have the hard skills to um, take that creative leap and, and kind of translate, um, you know, how a brand interacts with this culture cultural idea um, and bring it to people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think it's it's important, just kind of bouncing back to the earlier kind of question about models and frameworks and stuff. I think it's important that um, you that most folks at Zeus don't have MBAs and most folks at Zeus don't have this highly structured educational background in advertising or marketing because that can require a lot of unlearning in order to get to those places that feel more creative and feel more relevant and, and open us up to new opportunities. Um, I think sometimes those prerequisites land us in a spot of a lot of similar thinking and then we're, we're um, you know, pitching the same ideas or everyone kind of has the same thing and it takes a designer to come up with the museum of ice cream versus, you know, folks who probably should have come up with it previously. Um, so having that different diversity and background and education, I think is also useful. Also, how do, how do you, um, how do you guys work to get to something that Jason can bring some magic to? You know, because clearly this is just, this is the stuff that's, that, you know, he said talks about too logical, mm -hmm. too literal, too logical, too left brain. Those are the things that creatives just like well i can't do anything with that you know you have mm -hmm. to take it a little bit beyond you have to take some risks yourself and and 
then he has something to go on and, and use. Mm-hmm. And how, how, how does that relationship work with you two guys? And, and, and how far do you think you need to push it? And what, is it, what are the things that you bring uh, to help make that happen? Yeah, I mean, generally speaking, it starts out with a conversation. It used to be in a room, now it's on Zoom. But like, let's just thought jam about this thing that we are talking about, whether it's this reinvention moment in culture. So what does that mean? What are the things that are popping for us? Why is that exciting? What other places can we see maybe analogous um, situations or movements that are related to this. Um, And we generally go do our own research. Um, I tend to favor inspiration in nature and um, more biological models. Jason loves digging into music and art and all sorts of, and we bring that back together. And then we talk about those things. And then generally it starts to just kind of grow and take on this organic shape just through those conversations. Um, I have not written a brief in six years. Like (laughs) it is absolutely truly a, like, let's just have talk this out. And then like, Oh, that's a cool territory. All right. Maybe Jason needs to take that and shape it a bit more and develop it further. But there's not ever really this like formal handoff moment of like, okay, now I've got the insight. Like I can go do what I need to do. It's definitely something that I think we, um arrive at together and then continue to work through together is that yeah. does that mean does that mean you don't share anything with your clients before you share the ideas or do you kind of retrofit your conversation into something that sort of makes sense um i think it depends on the client i mean certainly there are clients that we have really long-standing deep relationships with that know how we work and are in the room while we're having those conversations we might have brought a little bit of forethought into that first conversation with them but they're still participating in the idea development more formally um in other cases you know they're like hey i want to see something at the first stage before you get before you take it too deep so you know present those territories to me and then we go from there um, that happens as well. So it's all sort of, you know, kind of what that relationship needs, but very, very infrequently. In fact, I can't remember a time off the top of my head where we've come in with fully baked, fully developed territories, ideas, concepts. And that was the first time the client was seeing something um, that very rarely, if ever happens. Mm-hmm. Jason, do you yeah. want to add some thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I, I just want to be like, super clear that our our relationship is sort of rooted really in like making each other better and it's it's less rooted in roles um and um we each bring our own skills to it our own perspectives um but i I think like what is maybe more apparent is like we have similar kinds of ambitions um and we just approach it in different ways and so i don't know elsa's incredibly creative she makes me more creative um, I hope, I hope I make the solutions smarter on occasion. You do. <laughs> you really do, Jason. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's, it's more of a, I think, um, kind of reciprocal thing that's just like rooted in trust and like, Hey, we know that we can make each other better. And it's less about like, all right, now your turn. What's, what's the, what's, <laughs> what are you going to come back with? Do you know, um, you guys know Sparks and Honey? Ever heard of them? No. no. Mm-hmm. So like a trend, uh, forecasting, cultural forecasting, cool. very, very focused on understanding culture and understanding trends. And they have sort of like a daily editorial meeting. Mm. Where they, 
pin things on boards. I wondered if you guys did anything similar, whether there are sort of like, you, you know, you don't, once you've got the reinvention theme, it applies to everyone. I mean, obviously it applies in different ways, but it's a theme. You put it on the big board and it goes up with the other five or six themes. Do you, is that something how you guys think? Is there a sort of a, a process yeah. to get to those themes? And uh, like, it's almost like investment in um, I, internal IP. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. We, we uh, actually, the two of us in particular focus a lot on, on that um, and sort of um, kind of, uh, actually IP development, but also like, what do we think are the themes or ideas that we think are going to be crucial to influencing the future of business and culture? Um, so there's a few in particular that we um, focus on. One is, is cooperation. Um, we think the future of business is, is more um, cooperative. Another is really around um, kind of how we learn and grow. We think the future of, of work and, and people and how we have meaning in our life is really rooted in, in how we kind of learn and grow. Um, and so we, we, we have these like themes and we also are pretty purposeful about finding new ideas and sharing them as an agency. Everyone should be adding to um, this kind of uh, bank of ideas and sort of building on this kind of single cultural conversation. So we started um, pretty recently, actually, something called Input Output, which is about a, a kind of um, every couple of weeks collecting various bits of inspiration that fall under these like thematic territories that we think are really important. Um, we also have are really purposeful about having conversations um, as a full agency around these ideas. Um, so we, we do a number of things. And I think part of that is like this is this is like where we think our energy kind of comes from. It's these like um, kind of communal shared conversations around topics that we're all interested in. Um, and otherwise I think the work can kind of just become, you know, it, you risk becoming more transactional and less kind of focused on what it is that we're all headed towards as an agency. So we, we do as much as we possibly can to have these kind of group conversations. Um, yeah. So what, um who's inspire? I mean, the obvious questions are like, who's inspiring you and who, what's interesting right now for you? I mean, you talked about big themes, but um, any, anyone, I mean, I thought the Reed Hastings books really interesting as just like, well, that's how a creative organization, ultimately it's about how a creative organization works. And, and he kind of, in a way, slams ad agencies indirectly mm -hmm. saying like they, they run like factories. They don't mm -hmm. run creative organizations and, right. um, you know, because they have timesheets and they uh, limit vacation time and, you know, you can't spend what you want on expenses and, you know, we don't give a damn about this stuff and they keep people for decades and we don't, um, you know, it was just, it's just very interesting when you read through, obviously it's a big PR piece, but mm -hmm. it's really interesting things when you compare and contrast the creative industry with with how Netflix operates. Yeah, I, yeah. I thought that was just a has been an interesting thing for the last few weeks to look and hear what he has to say. Yeah, I'll I'll be honest. I I look more towards um, um, novels, and I, I bore yeah. Elsa. I bore Elsa to death with my obsession with um, Richard Powers' not, the Overstory. Not um, bore, not bore. <laughs> just you're just you stand, and I love it. 
<laughs> yeah. Um, which is all about um, old growth forests and kind of like the magic of old growth forests and what happens in these like cooperative environments or, or when cooperation is sort of like uh, valued over competition. And, um, and basically what happens over time uh, it, and the sort of like magical things that you couldn't get otherwise in a more kind of like transactional world. Um, and so I, I, like Elsa, she looks, she looks to nature and, and, and biology. I tend to look more towards um, art for, for ideas. Um, and so, and, I, and since COVID started, I've, I've doubled down on that, I would say, just because there's so much junk out there that's not rooted in kind of bigger, more measured thinking. Um, and instead is extremely reactive to whatever the kind of cultural conversation is that day. Um, and so you, it, it almost is like, you know, if, you, if you're just on Twitter, you're just, re you're just reacting. But mm -hmm. if you're kind of looking towards a bigger, a bigger thing or a bigger theme, I think you can plan longer term. And also, I think right now, like have more optimism. Uh, around around what it is that that, that is possible and, and get um, sort of better ideas. Uh, otherwise, I think you're kind of just wading through a lot of junk. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've recently been thinking it, it, it very much as sort of a battle between changing the status quo and promoting the status quo. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I think if you're, if you're a strategist or creative and you're thinking about brands, You've got to be in the business of changing the status quo, and and yeah. and, and that is you know, Citibank putting a billion dollars into into changing racial inequality, you know, just happened this week. Uh, Mastercard mm -hmm. five hundred billion in. Um, I just think we're going to start to see really fundamental shifts in how companies have to operate and do operate. Uh, yeah. on, on multiple dimensions. And so we should be advising clients not to take step changes, but to make radical changes. Yeah. Um, and yeah, absolutely. And that, that shift, that shift also has an effect on, on ad agencies and creative agencies, because you can't tell your clients to change if you're not willing to do some of those same things. Yeah. Um, you know, this year, hopefully, has been a year of reckoning for a lot of organizations where they put the mirror up and said, who are we and what do we want to be and what do we want to do and what are we willing to do to change that? Maybe, um, maybe, maybe you want to talk a little bit about Minneapolis. I mean, you guys are yeah. there, you guys are close to where a lot of the trouble happened. Mm -hmm. It's a city trying to reconcile a lot of issues, right? Yeah. And, is that it? And so it's striking a personal chord. It is. Absolutely. I mean, um, I love Minneapolis. It's a great place. My family is from Northern Minnesota, which is a very different place. Um, and I, I understand the differences in, in those ideologies and, and thinking, and I firmly am on one side of that spectrum. Um, but to have, you know, George Floyd murdered here and to have the, expression of grief and frustration and desirous for change happen here was incredibly powerful and incredibly moving. And it did, I hopefully, wake up 
permanently a lot of organizations within Minnesota and Minneapolis and across the country. Um, I know for us personally, like it certainly was a moment of, we pride ourselves on being progressive and forward thinking and, you know, pushing business to, to do better. How do we, how do we 10 X that, you know, how do we stop with a step change and really make it absolutely fundamental and core to what we do? Um, and that was, that was necessary. That was needed. Um, but it's also, you know, uh, something we need to keep doing, right. Um, it can't be something that just happened in June. Um, and so for us, you know, that's certainly looking at different organizations to partner with different ways of bringing change. How do we look at bringing social equity, uh, environmental justice into the core of every project we work on versus just some of them. You know, there's, there's so many different ways to, to, to make that change, but it, you couldn't ignore it being here, you know, and um, a small silver lining, I suppose, for, for a horrific, horrific uh, summer, but, you know, hopefully good change. Yeah. I, I live, I live just a, a few blocks from where, um the the sort of like protests and outcry and then some of the the rioting um happened um after or kind of in the in the week after george floyd's um murder and so it, and a number of zeus people do um and so it was a, it was a really traumatic event um and i think for our agency it did it did it did force us to kind of um, look inward and also like get strength from one another, but then I think sharpen what it is that we are sort of um, set up to do and how can we help build businesses that really sort of sustain and enrich everyone. Because I think of anything, if we've seen anything over the last like six or seven months, it's this greater fracturing of, of the haves and the have nots and that goes, you know, um, for, for, you know, both in terms of, of money, but also rights and just, um, place and culture. So, um, I think it, it obviously was a, a very terrible thing, but it, it, it's helped us sort of have more focus over what it is that we want to do and, and what we think business's role is in, in achieving it. Do you want to, I think Adrian told me something you were doing something what you doing? Didn't you turn your office into sort of legal aid center or something? It was pretty amazing what happened because you the office is right was quite close to where. Right. Yeah. Um, right. Right after. Um, right after, like that. It was that very week. Um, we were just trying to figure out like immediate sort of near term things that we could do with the, the skills and resources that we had. Um, like we'd always, you know, we, we do, you know, as a business, we have these long-term goals and objectives, but I think like the feeling of just like sadness and anger and rage was so palpable that we all just needed to, to do something. So we, um, basically offered up our office office, which was empty, um, to a lawyer and then helped build a collective of lawyers for this, um, free legal aid clinic for anyone who was affected by the, the aftermath of the, the death of George Floyd. Um, so there were immigration lawyers, there were property lawyers, there were people who were looking at sort of like landlord tenant disputes, all these kind of, um, there was a huge ripple effect um, to this week of, of, of unrest. Um, and uh, yeah, we, we just wanted to kind of support them however we could. So we both promoted it and created awareness of this free um, clinic. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, it was 
the lawyer is doing all the work, not us, of course. <laughs> well, you gotta you gotta step up and, and agree that you want to do something. So, I mean, every bit that helps. Um, let's talk a little bit about how. You know, you guys talk a lot earlier about this whole idea of everyone being a collaborator and a participant. You know, this this idea that the best strategists, the best creatives are facilitators to get the best out of everyone, you know? And how do you do that in a COVID remote world where you can't throw things up on the wall like you can in a physical space? I, I was listening to... Um, Kathy Ryan, who kind of runs the, the Times magazine about how they build the magazine on the wall. You literally physically build it. You print and design, print and design and, and work all the week on this layout. And suddenly, if you're not in the office, not everyone's in the office, you don't have this physical artifact to work around. And so I was interested to see what you guys have learned in the last few months of of ways of working and ways yeah. of, of bringing that to something. Maybe we just don't have that now. There's no sort of thing that brings that feeling of being in a room together. It's almost impossible to replicate, but you have to kind of hack your way around it. Just wondered if yes. you have thoughts on that. Yeah. I mean, I think um, we've tried to do a number of things to get back to that feeling. Um, like most companies, we noticed like, uh, productivity and people, you know, productivity going up and people feeling more efficient. Um, but also we felt a, a sort of lack of connection in some ways, which was really crucial in, in building up energy and momentum around certain ideas. And very much before this, we, we built um, plans on whiteboards. Every, every room at Zeus is, uh, you know, the four walls are, are usually all whiteboards. So We've we've done a number of things like, you know, we're obviously meeting via Zoom um, all the time. And sometimes I think the key is to have unstructured um, meetings on Zoom or other ways of sort of collaborating together that are unstructured, because I think a lot of the magic like happened in those unstructured moments or in those kind of impromptu moments where you could kind of, you know, somebody was excited about something and other people could kind of, kind of catch that excitement. Um, so how can you replicate that? Uh, there's there's obviously like a number of like digital tools where we're trying to to do that but i'll be honest like i don't know if that that kind of magic of of being in person is has exactly been replicated yet um but i think there are a lot of other really positive things that sort of have come from from this new way of working um we're also we've we're fortunate in that we've spent the last couple of years sort of setting ourselves up to um, be able to work digitally in a way that um, makes a lot of sense. So a lot of our IP and thinking and and kind of previous work is cataloged for everyone to access and it's open. Um, so anyone can kind of get up to speed on kind of any area as at a snap, um, which is really helpful because we start conversations talking about the, the idea rather than catching people up, um, which is sort of just like a mode that we, we had aspired to before this anyway. Um, but yeah, I certainly miss the, the in-person unstructured time. Elsa, if you want to add to that. Yeah, no, I think um, just going to double down on the unstructured conversation. Just see where the prompt goes and just talk about it and not have the pressure of like trying to leave the meeting with like something that everyone can like, ah, oh, 
talk about um, or work on. Um, I'd also say like, we've just been experimenting a lot with like, how do you get people to just think differently just by like, how, maybe take the meeting from outside. Maybe, you know, go on a walk while you're doing it. Don't have your camera on and just listen. Like other things to sort of mentally change your environment so you kind of have just some some different inspiration that's hitting you versus like the same thing that you're looking at all the time um so just you know little behavioral nudges like that are certainly things we're trying to work through but i echo what jason said like it's hard to to write we haven't at least we have not figured out how to recreate that magic and if someone does please tell us <laughs> be amazing yeah, the, the bigger thing is is um, client work sessions too, because that was a huge part of the the um, experience of working with Seuss Jones was being really close and in the room, and and you are a participant if you're a client um, typically working with us. So um, we have gone to great lengths to have everyone sort of get up to speed on the best ways of working with clients collaboratively, um, without kind of killing them through Zoom. So um, there's just like a number of kind of tactics that we've learned over the last like six, seven months or so that we all try to, to implement. Um, one big Zeus or learning just that sort of happened in our company was like uh, big group meetings are really hard for people to participate in. So when we get together, how can we break out into small groups as quickly as possible and sort of remember sort of like how how big and full all these other people are and everything they have to offer um, and get energy from one another. That, that was like a kind of breakthrough moment for us where it was like, oh, it doesn't need to be this like single person broadcasting to the whole company. We can get back together and be humans in small groups again. What's, you, what's an optimal small group size for, for, for like for collaborating, do you find? Um, I bet five, I, I was gonna say five, so we're close, four or five. Um, mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, sometimes, uh, I think if you get above like seven, it, it, it gets trickier or people are a couple people maybe just quiet and then it's dominated by a couple others. Yeah. Um, Elsa, I was really interested in your, in your, in your thoughts on um, how do you get people to get out of the, so we got have got into this. Um, I, I guess we had a very clear way of working and separating our, our domestic life, our family life, from our work life. And then we've sort of gone into a mode where we sort of, everything's blurred together. Time's blurring. Mm -hmm. the, 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 the separation between all those worlds has become an amalgamation rather mm -hmm. than a, a separation. And I was thinking that might have some severe constraints on getting people to think creatively. You know, they're just, there's a lot to deal yeah. with. If you're schooling three kids um, and you, you just don't have, you don't have the downtime, you don't have the space time to, yep. to, to think creatively. Uh, yep. and you know, that seems like a, a huge issue for creative organizations in terms of being able to inspire and find ways for, for these people who are sort of busier than they've ever been. Um, totally. To unlock that space. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And at Zeus, you know, we're, we have lots of folks who have, who have families and who are taking care of, you know, loved ones and have, you know, all sorts of different things that are affecting things outside of work. 
and we want to respect that humanity and make sure that they're absolutely able to do everything that they can. So how do, yeah, exactly. How do you balance that without asking too much of someone in a time where it's really easy to take them for granted? Um, so yeah, just experimenting with that, thinking through, you know, um, how do you create invitations to go someplace different? and really be explicit about that. Um, whether it is physically outside in the summers in Minnesota, everyone wants to be outside. So how do you physically create that invitation to go someplace else, to use different senses, to think about um, you know, closing your eyes and what you're smelling and what you're tasting. And it can be a little woo woo, but at the same time, it also resets you know, your, your palate and resets your mind. Um, there's you know, been a ton of work around kind of like forget what the I think it's called doorway theory but when you enter into a new space your brain kind of resets right and you're rethinking what's around you um how do you create those moments on zoom when you're not able to actually physically enter into a new spot um so just trying to to play with those and find different ways for folks to engage with them and there's some people at our company who come up with awesome ideas you know doing sort of meditative um, walkthroughs at the beginning of a call or, you know, having people walk around while they're doing something. And, you know, just, again, different ways to get that your body moving to, to spark something new in your mind. Um, you know, I don't know how many, how long it'll last, but, um, you know, I certainly think we're probably in this for the long haul. So hopefully some of those will stick and we can use them again to try and kind of prompt that creative thinking. You guys use, you, you guys use Slack? Um, yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Is that a place where is that environment where there's a different type of sharing, different type of inspiration? Yeah, I mean, it can be. I think, um, like many organizations, we're figuring out how, what are the right platforms to unlock what. Um, there's a constant debate in our, our organization around Slack versus workplace um, by Facebook. And, you know, one of them seems to be much more natural in gaining conversation and connection whereas another one seems to be much more about communication and kind of here's let's lay out like what's happening i just need to let people know what's going on um so you're sort of trying to say okay well which of these platforms um answers the need that i have at this exact moment in time without <laughs> overwhelming people with the number of platforms that they have to be participating in and checking so um definitely working through that um but i will say you know i've had really incredible conversations um, and discussions on both of those platforms that normally I would have had in a room and I never thought was possible to have just kind of communicating that way. Um, it's definitely forced myself to get out of my comfort zone in terms of, you know, just letting myself ramble <laughs> in text and see what happens versus, you know, trying to kind of, again, craft the perfect sentence for this one, you know, message. What about, um the perpetuation of the Zeus Jones culture, you know, cause mm -hmm. how, do you have happy hours? Do you, what, it, what is, what is the, I mean, it, maybe that's so, so three months ago. Um, <laughs> yeah. There's gotta be some kind of, do you all get to get, is there a sort of, uh, how do you get everyone together? How do you get everyone yeah. realize yeah. they're actually part of a bigger, a bigger organization? Yeah. Yep. So we do, there's a few structured things. We do every morning, every Monday morning, uh, a huddle, all company huddle. Um, and that's really a chance to talk about any number of things. Um, I would say just to build on what Elsa was saying too, like a number of the 
the Zoom meetings we've had, we've, we've tried to just use as avenues for being really open about how people are doing and how they can be supported and then what kind of like flexibility they need. Um, because our company is our people. So, <laughs> and we're all feeling the same things and we can all kind of give each other strength and sort of, um, I, I don't know, I, do, I, I think we make each other feel optimistic too. So the more open we are with each other, I, to me, I don't care what avenue or, or platform it happens on. I just think it's like a mandatory sort of thing, especially over the last seven months. Um, but yeah, so we do like a, a Monday morning huddle. And then at the beginning of COVID, we also did like a Thursday connect with everyone. At one point, we decided that was kind of overkill um, for the whole company. Um, but we do other kind of monthly meetings we do, which is like a larger sort of like state of the state um, that happens. Um, usually there's a, a bigger a theme that we're exploring. And then we go into those smaller groups that I was talking about. Um, uh, yeah, we also have a number of meetings that are around a particular subject or theme, um, and they can be kind of free form or, or pretty structured around like, here's something that would be great for you to know based on what we learned on this project or in this bit of research. Um, so that kind of knowledge sharing bit um, is, yeah, is really important. Um, and that was important before, and it's just something we've had to figure out how to continue virtually. Is that, are those kind of like voluntary, is it like, if you want to know how we worked on this pet care project, tune in, we'll be sharing kind of thing? Yeah, sometimes it's rooted in a project, but it can often be rooted in like a, um, a, a subject somebody is researching and maybe a new model that we're thinking about. And hey, does anyone have any way to build on this or to take it to the next um, Adrian, kind of level. Adrian loves write, writing white papers on new models. Yeah. Yes. Oh, you've oh you've noticed too. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm sure that's that came out of it. Um, before we close, because we're running up time, um, I wonder if you guys would share um, recommendations, like books, places to check mm -hmm. out, based on your kind of passions. You know, you have different passions. You talked about biology and nature. Elsa, Jason, you talked about more of arts and culture. Just anything that's top of mind right now that you like, you you just really like to recommend to people as being very interesting for whatever reason they may be. They may be things written a hundred years ago. I don't know. Yeah. Any thoughts? So at the beginning of um, COVID, um, I found myself really entranced with um, Cheryl Strayed's new podcast from the New York Times. Um, which was called um, Sugar Calling. And basically she only spoke with um, authors who were over the age of 65, I think it was, um, about how they were dealing with the, the pandemic. And each one of them just brought this really, this like long view um, to the conversation that I thought was like so reassuring and interesting and completely different than what I was feeling and experiencing. So I've just really sought out these kind of like um stable fonts of 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 like a kind of um different perspective than what i'm feeling um so i would i would recommend um anyone to check that out especially uh she talks with george saunders who i i love in particular but um lots of good chats that's great elsa yeah um let's see i'm reading a book nonfiction called survival of the friendliest right now no, um 
Yeah, and thus far it's been fantastic. Um, Brian Hare and Vanessa Woods are the the authors of it, and um, they're just basically digging into the um, the great misconception that survival of the fittest was about alpha and individuality, and in, in fact, um, fitness was not physical fitness, but the ability to cooperate and to share and to you know put aside your differences and to 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 grow together. So. Um, I've, I've found a lot of inspiration in that, um, recently. So, um, it makes me hopeful, uh, that we can bring some of those to bear in our projects and obviously in our lives, um, to make the world, you know, a better place than it is today. Um, maybe one final question, uh, advice. I feel like I have people who want to get into the industry or, a young-ish want to move up or whatever. Um, advice for right now how, how, how is you know, do careers have to be on hold? How do you how do you make the best of what you have in a really challenging moment? What what should people be doing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I I've always believed that strategy is not a job, but it's a mindset. You know, you're a curious person, you love to solve problems, um, and you can bring that to many different places. Um, so you might not be able to get your dream job right now, um, but how can, where's another spot you can bring those, that mindset and those skills um, and those capabilities to bear and, you know, use that as your stepping stone as you continue to find something that maybe fits more what you're looking for. Um, I'm always deeply, deeply impressed by people who've, who've said, ah, I don't need the sexy thing. I'm going to go find, you know, this thing and I'm going to try to make change there. Um, and there's plenty of opportunity to do that right now. Um, it's just maybe hidden in unexpected places. That's great. Jason, any? Yeah. I I mean, I, I would say just my personal kind of mantra, like find, find the things that sort of where you get, see just like a glimmer of inspiration and go really deep on them, like break them apart. What, what makes them interesting? Um, really just kind of follow that interest and, um, yeah, develop your, your point of view and go deep on those, those interests and don't kind of hold to what you think you need to do or what an industry does and instead, um, follow those things and, um, then kind of take any opportunity you get to apply those, those, uh, those interests and, and, um, yeah. Um, I'm going to say thank you so much for your time and making this happen. Um, Really appreciate the conversation. Yeah, awesome. Thank you so much, Ed. Yeah, thanks for having us. And I will let you know when uh, this goes live into the internet. Oh, cool. (laughs) All right, perfect. Sounds good. All right, thanks, Ed. This is your host, Ed Cotton. Thank you so much for listening to Inspiring Futures. Until next time.